Hi everyone, my name is James Bamfield and I'd like to introduce you to my new podcast series called Spirituality for Today. During this podcast series, I'll be explaining why the spiritual voice is needed in society now more than ever with the many challenges we face both individually and collectively. I want to frame spirituality in a new way which is practical, inclusive, non-dogmatic, joyous and socially relevant. I want to show you how my spiritual path has enriched my life beyond my wildest dreams and how I share these learnings with others. first five episodes in the series will be spent explaining what I mean by spirituality and after that I'll be interviewing other people from all walks of life about how spirituality informs their life. In this first phase I myself will be the interviewee and I'll be interviewed by my colleague and friend, Laura Fanley. In the first episode, I'll be taking you through my own personal spiritual journey. In the second episode, I'll be rolling out the spiritual territory I want to cover by explaining the six key principles of spirituality for today as I see them. In the third and fourth episodes, we'll be investigating the spiritual technology. What does spirituality actually look like in practice? And in the final episode, we'll discuss the social relevance of spirituality. As you will hear, I call the three faces of the spiritual path waking up, growing up and showing up. I thought a good way to start, a good way for you to get to know me, is to tell a little bit of my spiritual autobiography. Because I found out this year, to my surprise, that I've actually sort of been officially on a spiritual path for 40 years now. So this has been a key, core, essential part of my life for a long time. Now, of course, everybody's spiritual story is different. But I want to share with you mine because it's covered quite a lot of ground and it will help us to set the scene for this podcast series. So when I was young, I was brought up as a Christian, Church of England, and I was a believer I was chlovich, as they say. And I think about 50% of that was genuine interest, genuine longing uh, for a deeper meaning, and about 50% simply just fear of what would happen if I didn't believe. And I think my 
I think my best moments were like sort of saying, saying my prayers on my own in bed at night and sometimes in church, you know, listening to hymns and carols, that kind of thing. Um, but it was very vague and um, indistinct. It was kind of uh, disembodied, if you like. And a key moment happened when I went to take my communion, which with the Church of England happens a bit later than in Holland and Belgium. So I think I was about 13, 14. And perhaps in my naivety, I remember going up with the other people to the altar in the school church um, to receive my communion for the first time. And I, I was expecting something to happen. I mean, it wasn't so much expecting, you know, a white dove to appear in the church and, and land on my head or anything like that, but I was expecting to feel something. I was expecting to have an experience and I was deeply disappointed when nothing happened. I didn't feel anything. And that was a big moment. That was a moment where I, I started losing a trust in, in just having a kind of ideology, something to believe in. I knew that that was never going to satisfy me. And then... I'd like to contrast that with a moment later. I was still at school, I was 16. And one of my teachers, one of my favorite teachers had been off to India and had great mystical experiences there with a guru and he came back. And he, at the end of a class that he gave called Who Am I? Which was irresistible to me. I just went up to him at the end of the class and I said, I have to know more now. And he, the next day, he gave me a book. And this was a book of transcripts of talks given by an Indian guru called Osho. And I just looked at his face, the photo on the front of the book, and I burst into tears. I can still feel it now. How could that happen? I knew nothing about him. And I just burst into tears. And that was what I was longing for. I could feel it in my body. And I was suddenly plunged into a new world. When I read that book, honest to God, I, I, I felt kind of enlightened for the next few days. Every word resonated and all these things became clear about life and, and, and so on and the nature of life and the mystery of the universe and, and so on. So it was a huge spiritual awakening at that moment. And I, I'm deeply grateful to the priest in my school because I got into a terrible inner conflict. I thought, oh my God, but what about my Christianity and my beliefs and, and all that fear, you know, of, of kind of going to hell and stuff. And I went and told my, the priest, the school chaplain about it. And he, there was a big pause and he said at the end, if your heart 
is drawn towards Rajneesh to Osho, then that is what you should follow. I mean, what an amazing sort of act of generosity. That was spirituality in action for me, what my priest did in that moment. And very soon after, I remember, at, of all places, I was at a, at a disco. You know, I was about 17, I think, 18, at a disco, and I was sitting behind, beside the disco. I wasn't actually dancing, and I suddenly got this vision, and Osho and Jesus were kind of looking at each other. It wasn't just a picture, it was a vision. Again, it was a, a visceral thing. Visceral means I felt it in my body. And I just saw them smiling at each other. And from that moment, I felt free. I knew it was okay. And then in the world of Osho, which some of you have probably heard about, I mean, it was a pretty wild time. And suddenly I was wearing red clothes. I had a new name. Um, so when I went to university, I only told people my, my spiritual name. Even in the football team, I would uh, have a wooden necklace wrapped around my neck. <laughs> um, and it was an unbelievable new world. There was the sort of what I will come to call the waking up side, which I will explain later, which was more about the meditation um, but there was also the, the growing up side. And so suddenly I was thrust into workshops, into therapy, group therapy workshops. And in those days, it was pretty wild and pretty confronting. And so the growing up side is more learning to be more authentic, more honest, learning to be more vulnerable. That whole sort of development of the self and at the same time, having a, a lot of these sort of deep ecstatic feelings of something transcendent, something divine, whatever you want to call it. And at the same time, I was, I was terrified. You know, it was a frightening world. I felt very small. So it wasn't all um, moments of glory by any means. Essentially, it was also a love affair. It was a love affair with Osho. And it could really be compared to a normal love affair. Intensely erotic, not sexual. Erotic. Erotic in the sense that it really turned me on. So this erotic quality to spirituality is vital to me. And when we hear the word erotic, we tend to think sexual, but it's so much more than that. Of course the sexual is erotic, but that's one small part of the erotic. One way that I define spirituality is that it brings out the eroticness of life, the sacredness of life but it's a felt experience. It's not just an ideology. And the other thing I, I learned very much 
being around the other followers of, of Osho was the importance of community on the spiritual path, being with peers. And that came to a new uh, depth when I met my, about six years later, met my second teacher, Michael Barnett, who'd also been connected to Osho. And I actually went to live in his community. I was about 25 then. And that's where, you know, you learned just as much in the kitchen with a team chopping vegetables as you did in the meditation room. It was all one big explosion of growing up and waking up. And don't think it came easily to me. You know, the first time I meditated, I had my knees up by my ears. I couldn't sit still. I hated it. It took me years of practice to find peace in it. Anyway, I stayed within Michael's Barnett's community for about a year and a half. And then suddenly I felt this longing to, to get out, to travel. If you like, to, to kind of test myself. And I then spent a long time traveling. And that was a very important part of my growing up. Traveling is one of the great ways to, to learn if you bring that lens to traveling. And I'm gonna flick forward to um, an episode. So I lived in Kyoto, which is one of the spiritual sort of capitals of Japan. It's the home of Soto Zen, Zen Buddhism. And one of my fascinations was Zen gardens. And I was visiting one of the most famous gardens called Ryoanji. And I, all it is basically is a garden of gravel with a few rocks in a certain formation. I mean, it looks completely ordinary. It's like a sort of car park with some stones in it. But it is made by Zen monks. And I was sitting looking at it. And in the beginning, I didn't feel much. I was in my head. I was, I don't know what I was thinking about. Um... And then slowly, the, the garden sort of sank in. And again, these, these tears came, but they came and they started pouring through me. And it was so strong, the emotion. Again, I don't know why, that I couldn't even stay sitting there. You know, I was surrounded by mostly Japanese people with cameras. And so I just ran out of the temple. And I didn't know where I was going. I ran through the gardens. You know, there was a big uh, domain at the Zen temple. And suddenly I found myself by some graves, some tombs. And they were for previous Zen monks. And I just sort of collapsed on my knees by these um, graves. And oh, it's, even now, it's very hard to describe. 
You know, in, in the Bible, they, they, they talk about the, you know, the angels, no, the, the shepherds knelt down. And the glory of the Lord shone down. That's, that's what it felt like. And suddenly, I, I don't know, I just felt this presence of something, something divine, something numinous. And it was overwhelming. And it was wonderful to be overwhelmed, to feel this something much, much bigger and vaster than myself. And a lot of other weird things happened as well. It was like I could see my whole life, I could see all my whole ego, all my problems, everything that was in the way. I could even see my future, which I decided not to look at. And I could even picture friends and I could see their whole life and their whole future. I decided not to look because I didn't want to take away from the mystery. But that was one of the big spiritual sort of revelations that I, that I had. And there've been various others in my life. But what I want to say about that is those are sort of like the peak experiences the goodies that keep you going on the spiritual path. But in between is also just a lot of practice, a lot of spiritual practice. Through Osho and Michael, I, I tended, and through the Zen, it was going in a very sort of transcendental direction. And I also realized that there was something in me that still wasn't growing up. There was a sort of fear, a cluster of, of fears, of um, insecurity about myself that wasn't getting healed. And then my whole spiritual path took a different turn. And I got into all of the work of family constellations and Bert Hellinger and, and this really brought me down to earth. It was like, forget all the divine transcendental stuff, back your relationship with your parents. And that was when some of the healing of the structures in my psychology started to, to happen. And that's when I realized that there were these two strands of waking up and growing up. And I could have meditated all I liked, but these things would not have got healed. And the same, if, if, if you're lost in the, in the therapeutic world and the self-development world and you don't have access to the, the more transcendental side, um, then that will also be incomplete. And I think since then, the most important thing in my spiritual uh, story, autobiography, is the setting up of uh, my company with my colleagues, uh, Anya and Mickey, and now several of others, where my work and my spiritual life could really come together. Um, that was a really important point. And in the last five to 10 years, especially, 
a growing commitment to spiritual practice, which is not always about peak experiences. But I sit a lot. I do Qigong every day. These are really important parts of my spiritual life. And they've brought a, a kind of more solid base to my spirituality. Not always so dramatic, but a certain, yeah, a certain solidity, something that I can fall back on. And I had a, a 10 day sitting retreat in Sri Lanka at the beginning of this year with an American teacher called Jeff Carrera. And that was such a coming home, such a coming home where all the different threads of my spiritual life came, came together. And I'll probably say more about that later in the, in the podcast series. And I think most, the last thing I'll say in my autobiography is I feel more and more the calling to become more spiritually active, even activist. That feels the right step now. And that's why I'm doing this podcast series, because I really believe that the spiritual voice needs to be heard in modern society. That's it for this episode. If you want to know more about me and my work, you can go to my website, jamesbanfield.org. You can go to the website of my company where I'm a partner, that's quinks.org. And there you'll also find various training, seminars, workshops, and so on. And if you want to get started straight away, there's a free meditation. Just click on the link in the show notes at the bottom of the podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to help, then just give a rating, a high rating, because that helps spread the podcast series. Thanks and hope to see you for the next episode.